Well, good morning, and um, please turn back to Exodus chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2 at page 58 in your church Bible, if you're going to use one of those. Denise read for us the first part of that passage um, this morning, um, up up to the end of chapter 2, and I don't know if you're like me when you're hearing that read, and you're thinking, what is going on for these Israelites? This looks like a barbaric situation, a horrific place to be. Not only have they now been put into slavery, but their kids are being killed. The male, every male son is being thrown into the Nile by the Egyptians. Let me read to you what happens next in the story. This is from the beginning of chapter 2. And it says, Now a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the river bank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her slave girl to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of water. That's almost a history of um, this story, the beginning of the Exodus story. The, The history of the whole of the Middle East and the nation of Israel is filled with wonder, it's filled with joy, It's also filled with rebellion and devastation, carnage. And at the moment, God's people are enslaved in Egypt. And his rescue plan is a baby with a death sentence. It's illogical, isn't it? It's improbable, at least. Laughable, if the situation wasn't so critical. Is that what Christianity feels like at times? Especially at Christmas, anyway. Look at what's happening in my life. Look at my trouble at work, the bills I'm struggling to pay, the illness in my family. And you're trying to tell me about Jesus, a baby in a manger. You're telling me that God's master plan to save the world is a baby in a manger. What difference does Jesus make to my life? Look at the carnage in our world, suffering and terrorism. An inspirational story isn't going to do much to sort out the problems in my life. How can one man change the world? But, once you know what Jesus did, and once you see that God's rescue plan worked, then we're crying out to hear more about Jesus. I've got bills. I've got heartache. I'm an alcoholic. Tell me about Jesus. Remind me what he did. We sometimes have our own ideas of how God could sort things out. 
but he has a bigger and a better plan. And God's rescue plan for his nation of slaves, who are in forced labor, being badly treated, focuses down on Moses, a helpless and abandoned baby. Let's see how we got it. Um, Let's look right through from the beginning of chapter 1. But if you want to know how the Israelites got to being in Egypt, in your own time maybe, read Acts. Acts chapter 7, verse 2 to 17, kind of summarizes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, how the Israelites moved to Egypt. And we join the story with them already in Egypt. And during a devastating famine, the Israelites had joined Joseph and moved to Egypt. There was only about 70 of them when they'd done so. While they were there, the Israelite clan grew exponentially, just as it had been promised to Abraham, when God had said, I will make you a great nation. And when Jacob was unsure whether to move to Egypt, God had reassured him and said, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. While they were there, they grew so much in just this few hundred years, that, a bit of a spoiler alert, but when they leave Egypt in some years' time, There's 600,000 men, plus women and children. That's a growth from about 70 when they started to somewhere between 1.5 and 2.5 million people. That's some growth, isn't it? And now, there's a new pharaoh in town who doesn't know about Joseph and what he did to save all the Egyptians. The name Joseph means nothing to him. He's the king of Egypt, the dictator of this superpower nation. He has strength, fame, wealth, power unparalleled in the world. People think of him as a god. But despite his ego, he's paranoid. He's got this unfounded distrust of this peaceful but multiplying immigrant nation. And so he abuses them, oppresses them making the Israelites into slaves, even though they'd made Egypt their home. Now they're suddenly slaves, into forced labor, with harsh slave drivers. Where is God? Despite their slavery, somehow they're having more kids. And Pharaoh thinks, enough, time for a new tactic, let's kill all the male newborn babies. That'll stop them. That'll slow down this baby boom. But these Hebrew midwives that we read about, Shifra and Pura, stand up to this superpower bully, disobeying Pharaoh because they fear God and value life. This guy called John Witherspoon says, it is only the fear of God that delivers us from the fear of man. God was kind to them and blessed these midwives because they feared God. But Pharaoh was furious. He orders the Egyptians instead to start killing these Hebrew babies. And we have to assume that is what they start doing with a vengeance. Perhaps Moses is the only boy to survive in his generation. You can imagine the distress and despair. We are God's people He has made promises to our grandfathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Has he forgotten about us? How will we be a great nation if all the baby boys are killed? We'll be extinct soon. 
Can you imagine that devastating feeling of having carried a baby for nine months, not knowing whether it's a boy or a girl, praying it was a girl, to then deliver it and realize it's a boy? Thinking, how long will it be till an Egyptian steals my baby boy off me and throws him into the Nile? This is barbaric. And then, a son is born to a Levite family. Parents, Amran and Jochebed. And they are determined not to lose their kid, and so they hide him for three months. By all human standards, this kid never had a chance, did he? Not only born to a slave, but there was already a death sentence on him. Had he been born a girl, he'd have been allowed to live, but as a boy, he's got a zero life expectancy. And at three months, they're struggling to hide him. They've run out of options, but can't bear to give him up. And so his mum puts him in a basket and left him floating in the reeds on the bank of the Nile. Was that an act of faith or desperation? Has she just given up? Because in reality, she abandons her son. She doesn't know what to do anymore. She leaves him as an orphan, floating on the Nile. Does she just leave him to fate? Well, whatever she was feeling at that moment, she left him in God's hands. Because this boy is found by Pharaoh's daughter, who, when she saw him crying, felt pity on him. And even better than that, Miriam, Moses' sister, chirps up and cleverly suggests she finds a Hebrew nurse to rear the baby and fetches their mum. So their mum now has royal permission and protection to bring up her baby boy. You realise that God is in control. And this boy's mum looks after him until he grows old enough to be adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. And he's given the name Moses because she drew him out of the water. That is God's rescue plan. Stage one, anyway, complete. Moses is perhaps the only boy to survive the slaughter. The only Hebrew boy in his generation. I wonder if Moses always stood out as the only Hebrew man in his 20s. He was the only Hebrew man in his 40s. There was no one near his age. He was the only Hebrew man in his 80s when he led the people out of Egypt. The man that God saved from the slaughter. But to me, though this story brings me hope, though this story shows me that God is doing something, that he's not left them or abandoned them, the question that I ask in my heart is, God, why not now? They've already been slaves for quite some years before Moses is born. And not to ruin the story, but they'll still be slaves for another 80 years before they leave Egypt. God, why not now? Why, when God sees their suffering, does he not wave his magic wand and say some magic words and poof, freedom? 
God's all-powerful, and I fully believe that he could change everything in a moment if he wanted to. But he doesn't. Why not? Is he lazy? Is God stubborn? Doesn't God care? I want to give you three suggestions as to why not now. And I think they fit our lives too. The first is that God has a greater plan in mind. Because I'm sure they had their own idea of how God could do, could fix this. What God should fix, how he could do it. Just get rid of Pharaoh, God. Use a lightning bolt. That'll be done. But there'd just be another Pharaoh, another ruler. They'd still be in Egypt. And God's plan for the Israelites was far greater than that. God's plan is for them to be their own nation, away from the impression of any ruler, but to live under his rule. To take possession of the promised land that is filled with milk and honey. We see the need right in front of our face at times. God sees your greatest needs and comes up with the greatest solution. For the Israelites, this means leaving Egypt on a journey to the promised land. But let me suggest a second reason why not now is so that they will be ready to leave their home and possessions. Think for a moment. These are The Israelites have now been here for a few hundred years. They've emigrated. They've made it their home. People who emigrate to Britain make it their home. A bond that deepens with every generation. They've been living here for a few hundred years. This place is their home with friends, neighbours, houses, memories. Happy memories. Without this period of devastation, would they be willing to leave? To wander around a desert? Because the third reason, that I think why not now, is that during this period, they learned to trust, to fear, and to depend on God. Because as we unfold this Exodus story, we'll see that it's through this horrific time they learn to trust in God as one who cares for them. They learn to fear God because his power is going to be fully displayed. As they learn to depend on him, they'll say, Yahweh, we need you. We don't know if we can survive one more day without you. Our strength comes from you. It's not so different with us, is it? We say, God, why not now? Look, watch the news, God. Haven't you seen what's going on? I appreciate you've got a plan, but God, this is how you could help. Could you clear my bills? Could you fix my relationship? Could you heal my mum? Could you fire my boss? Actually, could you give me his job? Could you catch those gunmen? Could you lock up the paedophiles? Could you stop Ebola and divert that tornado? If God was to reply, I think you'd say, I could do all of those things. And in fact, I'd love to, but you'll get new bills. Relationships will still be hard and will always be hard. 
illnesses will keep coming, and sadly so will terrorists and rapists. It's the world you live in. It's corrupted by sin. But I've got a greater plan in mind. Let me show you some of God's plan for us. This is John's record of the new world that God has planned, and it's in Revelation. Revelation 21. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among his people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them. And be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Jump a bit further down to verse 22 and it says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nation will walk by its light, and the kings of heaven will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. That's amazing, isn't it? Why not now? Because God's got a greater plan in mind. That's the first. But also, so that we're ready to leave behind our homes and possessions. Because initially, if we're honest, we're not ready. You just want the immediate problem fixed so that you can carry on with your mediocre life. No offense, but maybe you think you've got a great life. It is not even mediocre compared to what God has planned for you. The chaos, suffering and sadness of this world stops us from getting too attached. If life was all roses, we would be uninterested in leaving this world, unaware of the greater plan. God has prepared for us. It says in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I think it's in those tough moments in life that we realize we need to let go of the things that are temporary and hold on to the things that are eternal. God's plan for us. Our hearts are tied to this world. The world has this kind of strong pull on us, doesn't it? But each heartache, each stress and tragedy helps us to realize our need of God. God, we need you to rescue us. And we become ready and willing to leave all this behind. Part of that happens because of the third thing. That during this time, we learn to trust, to fear, and to depend on God. We see his faithfulness to us, even through the tough situations. 
We see his power when he does relieve us from our pain and hardship. We see his glory through Jesus Christ. We see that he provides for us, even when we didn't think there would be any more money coming in. And he brings us all that we need. He's our comforter. He's our guide. When we just look at around, we look at our lives and at the world around us, we ask, why not now? What we need to do is look at Jesus and be reassured that God will rescue. That's the truth. God will rescue. It's what was happening in Exodus and it's what's happening for us. His power, his love, his, he has the ability to do whatever he desires. He has compassion and desire to rescue his people. This is something we can be sure of. It's built into his character and assured by his promises that God will rescue. I don't know about you, but I've never really liked football managers. Okay? When I watch TV and I see a football manager along the sidelines, the match isn't going well. They're losing. And he stood right up on the sidelines because I think he gets sent off if he goes past the sidelines. And he's, I'm not going to do it because I will fall. But he somehow leans over and he's pointing and I don't know what he's saying because I can't even lip read. It's another reason I hate managers because I, oh, if I was a player, I wouldn't be able to tell what he was saying. He's shouting orders from the sidelines. This is what to do. Change this. Change that. The captain is someone different. The captain gets on the field and gets involved and leads his team with a winning strategy. Because God... I don't think stands on the sidelines. Maybe that's our impression of him, that he stood on the sidelines and just shouting to us instructions on how to make life better. He's not. God is more like a captain that gets stuck in. He's on the field, he's in the middle of the action with a winning strategy. So that we remember that he does not abandon us. He will never abandon us. Because he will keep his promises. He's made promises to the Israelites in this story that one day they will have the promised land. He's made promises to us that he will rescue us and save us to eternal life. God will rescue. His plan and his will for the Israelites is the promised land and nothing will stand in his way. Not slavery in Egypt or a pharaoh commanding the execution of baby boys. One boy survives, who God will use to rescue his people, Moses. What a beautiful parallel to Jesus. His plan and will for mankind is forgiveness and eternal life. And nothing will stand in his way. Not slavery to sin, or King Herod, who is commanding the execution of baby boys. One boy survives, who God will use to rescue his people. Jesus. For humanity, God's ultimate rescue plan focuses right down on Jesus. The Son of God, born of a virgin. Soon a refugee on a run, on the run. A carpenter in the dead end town of Nazareth. But a man who taught them with authority and truths about God. Who healed the sick and raised the dead. Yes, Moses did lead his people to the promised land. 
Jesus died for all his people to rescue them from their sins. Caught in slavery, tied up in a corrupt world, we are offered forgiveness and eternal life by following God's appointed saviour, Jesus Christ. See, at this point in the story in Exodus, the Israelites don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going to happen to Moses. They don't know what God's planning. They are in the dark, and I guess just had to pray and trust. We don't have to guess God's plan. We're not in the dark. We know that Jesus died on a cross, in our place, and we know he's risen from the dead pain for our sins and rebellion, conquering the power of death in our lives. God's rescue plan is complete. The question is, will you trust Jesus to be your rescue plan, to be your saviour? I guess the thing is, like the Israelites, we're not in the promised land yet. And We've still got a tough life in a corrupted world. But God gives us hope. God gives us his wisdom. God gives us his strength to deal with our present sufferings. And when we say to God, but God, look, look what I have to deal with. He says, I know. That's what I'm rescuing you from. Let me just show you. I don't know if you've seen this yellow cord it's not just mess. I left it there this morning, probably making a mess. And I wonder if you can imagine for a moment that this little bit is our lives. Our lives on earth is this little bit. And we wonder what God's doing about this and why he's not helping us with this. And we're worried about saving enough money for just near the end and we're saying God why not now God what are you doing and what he says is look what I have planned look Uh, and he's planned ah, an eternity tripping over a wire here an eternity our thoughts about what God's doing sometimes are so small Our solutions for him are so temporary. And yet he sees a greater problem. And he finds a greater solution. He says, I know what's going on. And this part is what I'm rescuing you you from. I know you're hurting. I know life is tough. I'm here to help you in that. I'll give you strength each day. I will give you comfort when life hurts, I'll send my Holy Spirit to live with you and help you through this bit. But what I'm working towards is an eternity where you won't have to worry about this anymore. God's love will never fail. God's mercies will never cease. And he will bring us to an eternal life in heaven if we trust in Jesus as our Savior. Let's spend a moment and pray to God. Father God, our requests, our ideas of what you should do need to play second fiddle 
to what you've already done. We see that with Moses. You were using this just baby boy initially to plan and rescue your people. And you used Jesus. Just a baby in a manger. Just one man in the world who you used to change the world. The Son of God who died for all the sins of mankind. And so though this world around us is falling apart, with stuff always on the news about another terrorist, another tragedy, stuff always in our lives that hurts. Help us to see Jesus through all of that. To know that you haven't abandoned us. To know that you will keep your promise to us. That Jesus will be the, our symbol of hope because actually he brings real hope. Because he saves us from this world and brings us to eternal life in heaven. Lord God, help us to trust you. Help us to put our faith in you. And Lord, we ask that you'd help us each day, even with the smaller stuff. Give us strength, give us wisdom, give us comfort. We need that, we, we struggle. But Lord, may Jesus Christ always be at the centre. May he always be the reason that we celebrate, the reason that we have joy even through sadness. To know that you will rescue us. To know that you will bring us to our home in heaven. We pray in the name of your son Jesus.